ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله verily the praise belongs to Allah we praise him seek his assistance and forgiveness and we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds Whoever Allah guides, there is no one that can lead him astray and whoever Allah leads astray, there is no one that can guide him. I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone and that he has no partners or associates. And I bear witness that Muhammad wasallam is his slave servant and his messenger. We would like to begin this evening lecture number 20 in our series of lectures concerning the sharh or the explanation of Lum'at al-Irtiqad al-Hadi ila Sabil al-Rashad by Al-Imam Abu Muhammad Abdullah ibn Ahmed ibn Muhammad ibn Qudama rahimahullah In the previous lecture uh, the points just briefly that we mentioned were under the chapter of the Hukuq or the rights of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and his companions the Sahaba. And we mentioned the saying of Imam Ibn Qudama uh, related to the superiority and excellence of the companions of the Prophet and that the best of them, the best of his ummah is Abu Bakr al-Siddiq radiallahu anhu and then Umar al-Farooq radiallahu anhu and after him Uthman Dhul Nurain radiyallahu anhu and Ali al-Murtada radiyallahu anhum ajma'in yani in the order of their khilafa or their leadership or rulership of the Muslim Ummah was their preference also first Abu Bakr and then Umar and then Uthman and then Ali radiyallahu radiyallahu anhum ajma'in and here Imam al-Khudama said that the proof of such or the basis for this statement is that which was reported from Abdul ibn Umar radiallahu anhumah he said that we used to say while the Prophet sallallahu was still living, living the best of this ummah after its Prophet Muhammad sallallahu is Abu Bakr and then Umar and then Uthman and then Ali and this saying reached the Prophet sallallahu and he didn't reject it he didn't refute it or deny it also, it has been authentically reported from Ali radiallahu anhu that he said, the best of this ummah, khayru hadhi al-ummah, ba'da nabiyyiha Abu Bakr, thumma Umar, Umar, walau shid, law sammayt al-thalif. That the best of this ummah, after its prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa is Abu Bakr and then Umar. And if you had willed or if I willed, I would have mentioned for you the third, yani an order of preference, that is Uthman ibn Affan. Then Imam Ibn Qadam says it has also been, been reported but it is a weak narration from Abu Ad-Darda from the Prophet وسلم, that the sun has not risen nor has it set upon anyone after the Prophets and Messengers better than Abu Bakr 
that is Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu anhu. And the proofs of the superiority and excellence of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu are many, besides this hadith, which we don't use as a proof due to the weakness of its chain of narration. Although the meaning of the hadith in general showing the superiority of Abu Bakr over the rest of the Ummah after the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, is true. And point number 74, Imam Ibn Qudama says that the one who has the most right to the position of Khilafah or rulership of the Muslims is Abu Bakr. Uh, for a number of reasons, from amongst those reasons he said due to his virtues or his superiority and merits and his preceding others in embracing Islam and the fact that the Prophet ﷺ gave him preference over the other companions in leading the Salat at the time of the sickness of the Prophet ﷺ. And a fourth proof of this, proof of this is the ijma or consensus of the Sahaba recognizing the superiority of Abu Bakr al-Siddiq and giving bay'ah to him after the death of the Prophet وسلم, and Imam ibn Qudama says وَلَمْ يَكُنِ اللَّهِ عَلَى And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would have never caused the Sahaba, all of them to reach a consensus or total agreement upon something that was wrong or in error or straight. In point number 75 he mentions that after Umar or after Abu Bakr the next in order was Umar due to his virtues and excellence over the others and the fact that Abu Bakr had authorized or delegated him to take the khilafah or the position of rulership after him. And then Uthman due to the fact of his preference and superiority and the fact that the Ashab Shura, those people who were appointed to uh, guide or direct the affairs of the Muslims, that they gave preference to Uthman as being the Khalifa after Umar. And finally Ali radiallahu anhu due to his virtues and excellence and the consensus of the people, yani the consensus of the Muslims of his time that he was the most rightful one to the Khilafah after Uthman. Then he says that these are the Al-Khulafa al-Rashidun al-Mahdiyun These are the rightly guided rulers or Khalifas of the Muslims who the Prophet spoke about in the authentic hadith when he said Alaykum bi sunnati wa sunnati al-Khulafa al-Rashidun al-Mahdiyin min ba'di That it is obligatory on you to follow my sunnah and the sunnah of the rightly guided Khalifas after me Addu alayha bin nawajis So hold on to it or adhere to it or stick to it or bite on to it with your mullah teeth uh, finally, Imam Ibn Qadam mentions in point number 79 uh, the statement of the Prophet وسلم, which is reported authentically Al-Khilafa min ba'di thalathuna sana that the Khilafa or the rulership over the Muslims, the right, rightly guided rulers over the Muslims will last for a period of 30 years فَكَانَ آخِرُهَا خِلَافَةَ Ali radiallahu anhu and the end of it was the Khilafa of Ali which as the Shaykh says in his commentary, Shaykh Muhammad ibn Salih Uthaymeen, Hafidhullah, that perhaps Al-Imam ibn Qudama meant by this the extension of the Khilafah of Ali to the end of the Khilafah of his son, which lasted for a period of about six months, completing the 30-year period prophesied by the Prophet The Shaykh in his commentary mentions the definition of Sahaba, that is the person who met the Prophet while they were believing in him and died on Islam. Uh, and he also mentioned that the best of Sahaba, the best of them as a group was the Muhajirun, those who migrated from Mecca to Medina uh, and after them the Ansar radiallahu anhum ajma'in the best of the Muhajirin who are the best of Sahaba as a group 
the best of the Muhajireen or the Khulaf al-Rashidin, the four rightly guided Khalifas, Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, and Ali, radiallahu anhum ajma'in. And he mentioned something concerning their biographies, and then he said that the best of the Khulaf al-Rashidin is Abu Bakr, in the order of their Khilafah, those following him. Uh, and then he mentioned something concerning <coughs> the time periods of the four Khalifas, and the Khilafa, the short period of the Khilafa of Al Hassan, the son of Ali, radiallahu anhuma. And he also mentions here uh, a brief yani, note concerning Al Hassan, who was the grandson of the Messenger of Allah, وسلم, and his brother Al Hussein, radiallahu anhu, also the grandson and beloved of the Messenger of Allah. Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. In point number 80, Imam Ibn Khudama mentions that we testify to uh, the fact that 10 people, those 10 people who the Prophet ﷺ mentioned would be in paradise in a hadith, authentic hadith in which he mentioned them by name, that Abu Bakr would be in paradise and Umar would be in paradise and so on, Uthman and Ali, Talha, Az-Zubair, Sa'ad and Sa'id, Abdurrahman ibn Awf, and Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah the ten al-Ashara al-Mubashiruna mil-Jannah those who were promised paradise and he also said that whoever the Prophet ﷺ testifies that they will be in paradise we also testify for them likewise and from amongst the others besides these ten he mentioned specifically al-Hassan al-Hussein radiallahu anhum and Thabit ibn Qais in point number 82 he said that we do not state firmly or definitely that any one of the Muslims, the Ahlul Qibla, that they would be in the paradise or in the hellfire. We don't say that any particular individual will be definitely in paradise or hellfire except those whom the Messenger of Allah وسلم, has certified as such. But we have hope for the Muhsin, those who are the doers of good, and we fear for the Musi or those who have done wrong. And then the Shaykh discussed testimony or making shahada for someone to be in paradise or hellfire that is of two types al-ama al-shahada al-ama and al-shahada al-khasa al-shahada al-ama it means the general testimony that those people who have the descriptions of the people of paradise it is a general testimony that they would be in paradise meaning those who have iman those who are the doers of good and so on and likewise the other type of testimony for someone being in paradise is a shahada al-khasa and this is related to the specific individuals or personalities whom the Prophet ﷺ mentioned or who are mentioned in the Qur'an specifically that they would be in the paradise or in the hellfire and here he said that the aqidah of the Ahl Sunnah al Jama'ah is that we testify for the individuals who have been confirmed who have been named specifically in the Qur'an or the Sunnah as being in paradise and likewise of those who would be in hellfire otherwise we don't say that any particular individual will be in the paradise or will be in the hellfire. And here the Shaykh mentioned something of the biography of the remaining six of those ten people <coughs> who were promised paradise. And he also mentions the uncle of the Prophet Abu Lahab, who is one of those people who was promised or guaranteed to be in the hellfire along with his wife. And likewise he mentions the uncle of the Prophet Abu Talib, who would also be in the hellfire. But as recorded in authentic hadith, he will be the least punished of the people in the hellfire.
tonight we would like to continue where we left off and try to cover as much as possible as there isn't that much remaining to the end of the book perhaps there are maybe two or three lectures remaining so we will start with point number 83 where Al-Imam Ibn Qudama deals with the issue of takfir the issue of declaring a person to be a kafir and he says as many of the scholars of the Ahl Sunnah Jama'ah as we discussed previously in Aqeedah Tahawiyah and Usul Sunnah by Imam Ahmed that the Aqeedah of the Ahl Sunnah Jama'ah is as Al-Imam Ibn Qudama states here وَلَا نُكَفِّرُ أَحَدًا مِنْ أَحْلِ الْقِبْلَةِ بِذَنْبٍ وَلَا نُخْرِجُهُ عَنَ الْإِسْلَامِ بِعَمَلٍ that we do not declare anyone of the Ahlul Qibla, the people of the Qibla, meaning the Muslims, the people who pray towards the Kaaba, our Qibla. We do not declare any of the Muslims to be a disbeliever due to a zamb, due to a sin that he has committed, whether it is a major sin or a minor sin. We, we do not say that a person is a kafir because they committed a sin, no matter how big that sin may be. Nor do we consider someone to be out of Islam due to some action or deed which they have done. Of course, as we discussed previously in the details of this point, that the meaning of this, it is a general statement that we don't declare anyone to be a kafir due to a sin, whether major or minor. But there are some people whose actions actually are actions of kufr. And they actually do go out of Islam due to their actions, such as actions of shirk, which are clearly known to be shirk, about which there is no doubt, which is known to all Muslims, uh, and a person who dies in that condition. Then Al-Imam Al-Qudama says in point number 84, وَنَرَى الْحَجَّ وَالْجِهَادَ مَاضِيًا مَعَ طَعَةِ كُلِّ إِمَامٍ طَرًّا كَانَ أَوْ فَاجِرًا وَالصَّلَاةَ الْجُمْعَةِ we hold the position or the view that Al-Hajj, the pilgrimage to Mecca and Al-Jihad, fighting in the way of Allah, striving for the cause of Allah, are continuous standing injunctions that are to be observed, that are to be observed uninterruptedly. They are enforced continuously with every, uh, along with obedience to every Imam or every leader of the Muslims whether he is righteous or unrighteous yani the leaders of the Muslims the ruler of the Muslim state the leader of the Muslims whether he is righteous or unrighteous we are required to obey the ruler except in disobedience to Allah there is no obedience to anyone in disobedience to Allah but as long as what the ruler orders the people to do is not in disobedience to Allah then that ruler is expected to be obeyed. Also, the performance of Salatul Jumu'ah, the weekly congregational prayer and khutbah, praying Salatul Jumu'ah behind the ruler of the Muslims or whoever he appoints to lead the people in the Jumu'ah prayer, it is also permissible, it is allowed, whether that one who is leading the prayer, the ruler or who he has appointed, whether he is righteous or wicked, it is permissible. And in most cases, it is obligatory to pray behind him, especially if not praying behind the leader of the Muslims or the ruler who he appoints, especially if it would cause fitna or confusion or trials amongst the people in the Muslim society. In any case, 
the important thing, unlike some of the deviants, the opinion of some of the deviants is that it's not permissible to pray behind an unrighteous Imam. But actually the opinion of Ahlul Sunnah Jama'ah that it is permissible to pray behind the Imam or whoever he appoints, whether he is righteous or wicked uh, or otherwise. Here Al-Imam Al-Qadamah mentions as a proof for these points, he says, قَالَ أَنَسْ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ أَنْهُ قَالَ النَّبِيِّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ ثَلَاثٌ مِنْ أَسْلِ الْإِيمَانِ that There are three things which are the root or the foundation of Al-Iman. The first of them, Al-Kaffu Amman Qala La Ilaha Illallah. That we hold back or restrain ourselves. A person should restrain themselves from any harm or evil doing towards the one who says La Ilaha Illallah. Yani a Muslim restrains themselves from any harm to another Muslim. Al-Kaf Amman Qala La Ilaha Illallah. وَلَا نُكَفِّرُهُ بِذَنْبٍ And we do not declare him to be a kafir due to a sin. وَلَا نُخْرِجُهُ مِنَ الْإِسْلَامِ بِعَمَلٍ Nor do we consider him to be out of Islam due to some action or deed. This is the first of those three things which are the root or foundation of Al-Iman. That we hold back from causing any harm to those who say La ilaha illallah. We don't declare them to be kafirs or, to, or declare them to be out of Islam due to a sin or action that they have done. The second thing Al-Imam mentions in this hadith of Anas وَالْجِهَادُ مَاضٍ مُنْذُ بَعَثَنِيَ اللَّهِ وَجَلَّ حَتَّى يُقَاتِلَ آخِرُ أُمَّتِي الدَّجَّارِ That Al-Jihad is continuous and ongoing as an obligation on the Muslims. It is in force. It is not to be abandoned. Jihad is ongoing from the time that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala missioned the Prophet until the time when the last of his ummah would fight against Al-Dajjal, the Antichrist, Al-Masih Al-Dajjal. لَا يُبْطِلُهُ جَوْرُ جَائِرُ وَلَا عَدْلُ عَادِلُ يعني that jihad would not be cancelled or abrogated or taken out of effect neither due to the oppression of an oppressive ruler nor the justice of a just ruler and the third thing that he mentioned as the asal, one of the asal of Iman the three things that are the foundation of, his, of Iman he said Al-Iman wal-Iman bil-Aqdar having Iman and Al-Aqdar Al-Aqdar is the plural of Qadr he means here having faith in the divine decree Al-Qadr Al-Qadr this hadith is reported in the Sunnah of Abu Dawood and the scholars of hadith said the hadith is da'if due to one of the reporters in the Isnad, Yazid ibn Abi Nashbah, who is Majhul. And Majhul, as we mentioned in passing in the introduction in Mustalah Hadith, Majhul, it doesn't necessarily mean a person is unknown. The literal meaning of Majhul means unknown. But not in every case is someone Majhul unknown. It's clear here that this narrator is not unknown. We, we have his full name, Yazid ibn Abi Nashba. So he is known who he is. But Majhul here is of two types that we are referring to. One of them is Majhul al Ain and the other Majhul al Hal. It means that a person, though he is known, only one person has reported from him and they didn't confirm his legitimacy as a reporter or his accuracy as a reporter. Uh, or two or more people narrated from him, but likewise no one has confirmed him. No one has made favorable remarks for him confirming him as a good reporter. So these two types of people who only one or two or more reported from, but nobody confirmed him, is called 
majhul. The first of them majhul al-ayn and the second majhul al-hal. And that means since we don't know about the reliability of the reporter, we cannot accept what he has reported. So the hadith is da'if because of the presence in the isnad of this narrator who is majhul. Not unknown but uncertified. Uncertified. And his condition as a reporter, his reliability as a reporter is what's unknown. But the person himself, he is known to us. Just to clarify here, what is the meaning of majhul? Uh, here, Shaykh Muhammad ibn Salih Uthaymin, Hafidhullah, mentions in his commentary concerning these three points. The first of them, under the title, Takfir Ahlu Qibla Bil Ma'asi, the declaring of a Muslim, one of the people of the Qibla, who prays towards our Qibla, declaring of him to be out of Islam, a kafir, due to sins. Here the Shaykh says, the Ahlu Qibla, it means the Muslimun, those who pray towards our Qibla. المصلون إليها إلى القبلة. We do not declare them to be kafirs due to any action, whether even if it is major sins, and we don't cause them or declare them or consider them to be out of Islam due to that. Nor do we say that they are to be eternally in the hellfire. And we don't declare them to be kafirs. We don't declare them to be out of Islam. Nor do we say that they will be eternally in the hellfire. Some of the deviant groups did. Al-Mu'tazila and Al-Khawarij. And here the Shaykh mentions Surah Al-Hujurat, chapter 49, verse 9, the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, وَإِن طَائِفَتَانِ مِنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ اِقْتَتَلُوا فَأَصْلِحُوا بَيْنَهُمَا That if two parties, طَائِفَتَانِ مِنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ Two parties of the believers, if they fought with one another, then make reconciliation between them. And to the end of the verse, Number 10 in Surah Al-Hujurat, same surah, the saying of Allah, إِنَّمَا الْمُؤْمِنُونَ إِخْوَىٰ فَأَصْلِحُوا بَيْنَ أَخَوَيْكُمْ Verily, the believers are brothers, so make reconciliation between your brothers. Two parties of the believers fighting one another, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers them as mu'mineen, and to make reconciliation between your brothers. He calls them brothers of one another, and he calls them mu'mineen. Here the Shaykh says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this verse has confirmed Al-Ukhuwa Al-Imaniyya Ma'al-Qital That even though they were fighting with one another and fighting is a major sin yet Allah confirmed the fact that there is the relationship of brotherhood and Iman that they are still brothers and they are still believers though fighting is a major sin and if it was kufr to commit a major sin such as fighting then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would have removed this description of al-ukhuwa al-imaniya or the relationship of brotherhood in faith. But Allah remained from the beginning of the ayat to the end of the next ayat. He continued to refer to them as believers and as brothers of one another. The Prophet sallallahu also said in a hadith reported by al-Bukhari and Muslim. He said, قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم يقول الله تعالى من كان في قلبه مثقال حبة خردل من إيمان فأخرجوه and whoever retained in their heart even the amount of a mustard seed of Iman even the amount of a mustard seed of Iman then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would say فَأَخْرِجُوهُ take him out of the hellfire that means he would not remain in the hellfire forever even if he had the least of Iman so if a person committed some sins whether major or minor as long as they retained even the least amount of Iman they would not be amongst those who are eternally, eternally in the hellfire. 
Those who differed from this opinion were two main groups. The first of them, Al-Khawarij. They said the one who commits a major sin is a kafir who would remain eternally in the hellfire. The Khawarij said the one who commits major sins is a kafir. He's out of Islam and he will be in the hellfire forever. And the second group whose opinion was slightly different but the result is the same is the Mu'atazila who said the one who commits a major sin is kharijun al al-iman. Yani he is not amongst the believers. He is out of iman. لَيْسَ بِمُؤْمِنْ وَلَا كَافِرٍ He is not a believer nor a disbeliever. فِي مَنْزِلَةٍ بَيْنَ مَنْزِلَتَيْنِ He is in a station between two stations. يعني between Iman and Kufr. He is neither a mu'min nor a kafir. This was the opinion of the Mu'atazila. But like the Khawariz, they said that such a person who commits the major sins, though he is not in Islam nor out of it, he is in between, that person would remain in the hellfire forever. So in the end they agreed with the Khawariz. And we refute both of these groups by two points in brief the Shaykh says that their opinion is in contradiction to the clear text of Quran and Sunnah which we have mentioned here and also it is in contradiction to the ijma of the early generations of the Muslim, the Salaf it is in contradiction to their ijma because the ijma is to the exclusion of the Khawarij and the Mu'atazila whose opinion is not considered in this matter and point number 86, Al-Imam Ibn Khudam rahimahullah talks about the position or our relationship towards the companions of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He says in point number 86, sunnah And here sunnah doesn't mean sunnah, the opposite of fard. It doesn't mean minas sunnah that it's yani it's sunnah, it's not obligatory but it's sunnah but minas sunnah here it means from the deen of Allah the tariqah of the messenger of Allah from the aqidah of Islam the sunnah here is in the broad sense meaning the totality of Islam minas sunnah from the sunnah, the way of the Prophet his way of explaining and practicing the deen from the sunnah is tawalli ashabi rasulillah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam it is Yani from the Sunnah to have allegiance, friendship, and loyalty towards the companions of the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, wa mahabbatuhum, and having love for them, wa zikru mahasinihim, and mentioning their good qualities, wa tarahum alayhim, and having yani, uh, kindness or dealing with them, showing love, respect, mercy, and kindness towards them, towards the companions of the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. والاستغفار لهم and seeking Allah's forgiveness for them والكفو عن ذكر مساويهم and holding back or restraining abstaining or avoiding mentioning their shortcomings it is from the sunnah that believers abstain from mentioning the shortcomings of the companions of the Prophet وما شجر بينهم and those differences that arose or took place between them we refrain from such. وَاعْتِقَادْ فَضْلِهِمْ وَمَعْرِفَ سَابِقَتِهِمْ And also to believe in their superiority and excellence over the rest of the Muslims and acknowledgement of their precedence in Islam or in Iman. That they had precedence of all others. They were the first to come to Islam and to believe in the, in the message of the Prophet Muhammad wasallam. Here Imam Ibn Qudama mentions Qalallahu Ta'ala وَالَّذِينَ جَاءُوا مِنْ بَعْدِهِمْ And those who came after them يعني the Ansar who came after the Muhajireen 
وَالَّذِينَ جَاءُوا مِنْ بَعْدِهِمْ And all those who came after the later generation, including ourselves, يَقُولُونَ رَبَّنَا اغْفِرْ لَنَا وَلِإِخْوَانِنَا الَّذِينَ سَبَقُونَا بِالْإِيمَانِ O oh our Lord, forgive us and our brothers, those who preceded us in Iman, those who were the first people to come to Iman, meaning the Sahaba, the companions of the Prophet first Al-Muhajirun and then the Ansar. وَلَا تَجْعَلْ فِي قُلُوبِنَا غِلًّا لِلَّذِينَ آمَنُوا And don't allow in our hearts any hatred or ill feelings towards those who believed, meaning the first ones who believed. This is in Surah Hashr, chapter 59, verse 10. And also the saying of Allah in Surah Fatih, chapter 48, 29. Muhammad al-Rasulullah, Muhammad is the Messenger of Allah. وَالَّذِينَ مَعَهُ And those who are with him, meaning the Sahaba. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the Messenger of Allah وسلم, and those who are with him, the Sahaba. That they are severe against the disbelievers and they are kind and compassionate and merciful amongst themselves. These are two of the companions, uh, two of the qualities or characteristics which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala praised the Sahaba with. Or three characteristics. One, He praised them for being the companions of the Messenger of Allah and also Two of their characteristics that are praiseworthy is that they are harsh and severe with the disbelievers or they are kind and compassionate amongst themselves. Here Shaykh Muhammad ibn Salih Uthaymeen, Hafizullah, mentions in the commentary concerning these points the rights of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum ajma'een. He said that the companions of the Prophet have a great merit, excellence and virtue over the rest of this ummah, over all the rest of the Muslims who came after them due to the fact that they were the ones who supported the deen of Allah and the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam and also due to the fact that they made jihad in the way of Allah with their wealth and their selves with their lives and their property and also <coughs> they are the ones who preserved the deen of Allah they are the ones who protected it, preserved it and transmitted it, passed it down to us by preserving the book of Allah in the sunnah of the Messenger of Allah وسلم, in knowledge as well as in actions and in teaching the people until that until the deen the book of Allah and the sunnah of the Messenger of Allah until it reached uh, the rest of the ummah pure, clean and fresh just as it was given to them yani, these are the these are the reasons or the basis for the superiority of the companions of the Messenger of Allah وسلم, over others due to the fact that they helped, they supported the deen of Allah and the Messenger of Allah and they made jihad in the way of Allah with their wealth and their uh, lives and they preserved the deen by preserving the book of Allah and the sunnah of the Messenger of Allah وسلم, in action as well as in knowledge and this is an, an important note here to keep in mind that they are the ones who preserved and transmitted to us the book of Allah and the Messenger of Allah, the Sunnah of the Messenger of Allah. Therefore, whoever criticized them and spoke ill against them or doubted their character and reliability, actually, they are in fact doubting those who transmitted to us the Quran and Sunnah. That means they are putting doubt into the reliability or accuracy or authenticity of the Quran and the Sunnah when they put doubt into those who transmitted and pass it down to us. Here the Shaykh says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has praised them in his book when he said in Surah Al-Fat, the ayah which we already mentioned, chapter 48, 
29 that Muhammad is the Messenger of Allah and those who are with him are severe against the disbelievers and kind of compassion amongst themselves. فَرَاهُمْ رُكَّعًا سُجَّدَيْ يَبْتَغُونَ فَضْلًا مِنَ اللَّهِ وَرِضْوَانَةِ You see them bowing in ruku and also prostrating in sajda seeking the bounty of Allah and seeking his good pleasure. These are also further descriptions of praise of the companions of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Then he says that the Messenger of Allah has protected them or sheltered or defended them and defended their honor in the statement which is recorded in Al-Bukhari and Muslim uh, in which the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said لا تسبوا أصحابي Don't abuse or use abusive speech or speech speak harshly against my companions. Don't curse or speak abusively against my companions. And this is a prohibition. لا تسبوا It is it لا لا and نهي means that it's prohibited. It's haram for anyone to speak harshly against the companions of the Messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم. فوالذي نفسي بيده he said, I swear by the one in whose hand is my life. لَوْ أَنْفَقَ أَحَدُكُمْ مِثْلَ أُحُدٍ ذَهَبًا مَا بَلَغَ مُدِّ أَحَدِهِمْ وَلَا نَصِيفًا I swear by Allah or the one in whose hand is my life that if any one of you, yani anyone after them, were to spend in charity or to give in charity the amount of gold equal to the mountain of Uhud, then their charity wouldn't have been equal to one mud of the charity given by the companions of the Messenger of Allah وسلم, or even a half of a mud. And a mud is for amdad is a sa'a, a sa'a that we usually give as sadaqah to sitr in Ramadan, a sa'a is four handfuls. So a mud is one handful. He said even one handful of what they gave in charity or a half of a handful. It is worth more in front of Allah than if someone gave that amount of gold equal to the mountain of Uhud. Looks like there is a correction here. The ayah concerning if two parties amongst the believers are fighting. In Surah Hujrat, ayat 9, not ayat 4. Did I say 4? In any case, Jazakallah khair. So here the Prophet prohibits the people from speaking harshly against his companions and he shows the value or the excellence and superiority of his companions over all others that even a small amount of charity that they gave a handful would be equal to more or valued more in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala than even one who gave gold equal to the mountain of Uhud. So the rights that the companions of the Prophet have are very, very great. The rights that they have over the rest of the Ummah. And from amongst their rights, number one, Al-Mahabba, that we should love them with our hearts and we should praise them with our tongues. Yani we should have in our hearts love for them and we should only speak on our tongues praise of them due to that which they have rendered or that which they have offered or extended of good and excellence for the establishment of Islam in the earth. One of their rights is that we should have in our hearts only love for them 
and on our tongues only الثناء or praise of them and number two التراحم عليهم that we should show love and respect and compassion and mercy for them in every way and likewise we should pray for them seeking Allah's forgiveness for them in fulfillment of the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Hashr chapter 59 verse 10 وَالَّذِينَ جَاءُوا مِنْ بَعْدِهِمْ يَقُولُونَ رَبَّنَا اغْفِرْ لَنَا وَلِإِخْوَانِنَا الَّذِينَ سَبَقُونَا بِالْإِيمَانِ that those who came after them meaning ourselves and all who came after the commander of the Prophet that they say Allah said that we would say our Lord have forgive us and forgive our brothers who preceded us in Iman so we should pray for them ask Allah's forgiveness for them and we should show only love and respect and compassion and mercy for them the third right the Shaykh mentions uh, that also we should restrain ourselves we should hold back from mentioning their shortcomings we should avoid mentioning the shortcomings of the companions of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam those sort of shortcomings which in comparison to their good deeds and their virtues and their excellence is considered to be very little if there are any shortcomings from any of the companions of the Prophet in comparison to their good deeds it is considered to be very little and perhaps what we might consider as some of their shortcomings it may even have been due to ijtihad maghfur or amal ma'adur it may have been due to their ijtihad in a matter they made ijtihad and they made a wrong judgment but that ijtihad is maghfur is forgiven by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because they were striving to do what is, what is right but they may have made an error in judgment or al-amal al-ma'adur the action which they did which they have an rudr or an excuse for Allah excused them for that thing which they did therefore even if they have some shortcomings it is little in comparison to their excellences and their virtues and their good deeds and it may even be due to ijtihad that Allah forgave or it may be due to some action that Allah has excused some action that they are excused for so for this reason a Muslim, a true believer avoids speaking about the shortcomings no need even to mention anything that should be considered as a shortcoming of the companions of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam don't speak about them, avoid speaking about them perhaps in speaking about them we may uh, bring forth some ill feelings or hatred towards one or another of the companions of the Messenger of Allah وسلم, and that would be an error on our part because we are expected only to have in our hearts love for them and point also before running point number uh, 87 the Shaykh mentions in his commentary the hadith la tasubbu ashabi this is in reference, this is a proof of why we should refrain from speaking about the shortcomings of the, of the companions of the Prophet Sallallahu and likewise another proof for such is the hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu which is a Hassan, Hassan hadith, Hassan Ghayrihi due to a number of supporting narrations that which is reported in the Mu'ajim of the Tabarani and Kitab al-Sunnah by Ibn Abi Asim in which the Prophet Sallallahu is reported to have said Man sabba أصحابي whoever 
abuses or speaks harshly against my companions فَعَلَيْهِ لَعْنَةَ اللَّهِ وَالْمَلَائِكَةِ وَالنَّاسِ أَجْمَعِينَ Then he will have upon him the curse of Allah and the curse of the angels and the curse of all of mankind. Yani whoever abuses or speaks harshly against companions of the Prophet the curse of Allah is upon them and the curse of the angels and the curse of all of mankind. And likewise, uh, the hadith of the Prophet which is also a Hassan hadith, Hassan Ligayrihi, as mentioned by Sheikh Al Albani in his book, Sulsalat Al Sahiha, volume 1, page 42, hadith number 34. The hadith in which it is reported that the Prophet said, إِذَا ذُكِرَ أَصْحَابِي فَأَمْسِكُوا Whenever my companions are mentioned, then restrain yourselves, hold back. Restrain yourselves. If the companions of the Prophet are mentioned, restrain yourself from speaking bad against them. And this hadith is reported from a number of companions including Abdul ibn Mas'ud, Thawban, and Abdul ibn Umar radiallahu anhum ajma'in. Also under this, uh, under the topic of the companions of the Prophet and their rights, Al-Imam ibn Qudama mentions point number 87, لَا تَسُبُّ أَصْحَابِي فَإِنَّ أَحَدَكُمْ لو أنفق مثل أحد ذهبا ما بلغ مد أحدهم ولا نصيفة. يعني the previously mentioned hadith here, الإمام ابن خدام mentions it in the text of the book. Don't speak abusively or use abusive speech against my companions. For verily one of you, if he spends in charity gold equal to the mountain of Uhud, it would not be equal to one handful of that which is given in charity by one of the companions or even a half of a handful. The Shaykh Hafizahullah Muhammad ibn Salih Uthaymeen says here in his commentary that what is the hukum or the ruling concerning cursing or abusive speech against the Sahaba, companions of the Prophet He said, Sub as Sahaba, abusive speech against companions of the Prophet of three types or three categories. The first category is speaking against them in a way that is equal to declaring their kufr. Yani speaking about the commands in a way such that it is understood from that speech that you are declaring most of them to be kafirs or that they were generally unfit, yani evil or wicked people. Whoever uses such speech against the companions of the Prophet that is equal either to declaring them to be kafirs or to be immoral or wicked, unfit people, then this is kufr. This is kufr. And the person who speaks in that way is a kafir, goes out of Islam because they have denied what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said and what the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa said in praising them and being pleased with them. In fact, he says that whoever doubts the kufr of such a person who speaks in that way, even they themselves, in doubting the kufr of such a person who speaks about, who declares kufr of the Sahaba, the person who says such a thing, whoever doubts that that person is a kafir, also this is kufr, to doubt their kufr. And a person, a Muslim should be sure that a person who declares the Sahaba to be kafirs or to be wicked or unfit people, we should be sure that the person who makes such a statement as that is a kafir. Because their statement, uh, it is 
a uh, yani it is in reference to those people who have transmitted to us the Quran and the Sunnah declaring them to be kafirs or declaring them to be unfit yani the people who Allah made responsible for transmitting to us the deen then there should be no doubt about the kufr of such a person who says that the second category of abusive speech against the commands of the Prophet are those who curse them and eat who call for the curse of Allah upon them who say Allah upon any one of the companions or them as a whole whoever calls for Allah's curse upon them or considers them to be unfit or evil then this category there's two opinions of the scholars some of them said this is also kufr whoever curses them and some said that it's not kufr uh, as for the group who said that it's not kufr they said that the one who curses who calls for the la'an of Allah on the sahaba that that person should be whipped they should be punished physically and they should be imprisoned until they die or they return or they yani, turn back from that saying or that position of theirs yani they, one group said it's kufr and the other group said it's not kufr but that person should be in prison and they should be beat and remain in prison until they die or unless they yani, turn back from their statement the third category of those who speak harshly against the companions of the Prophet are those who say evil things against them but not in reference to their deen yani, general things about behavior such as saying they were coward or they were stingy or something like this this is also evil speech against the companions of the Prophet and it's not right for a believer to use such speech to say any of the companions were stingy or lazy or cowardice or any such thing here the scholar said this type of speech is not kufr but that person should be punished with a suitable punishment by the Muslim ruler until it will force them to stop such type of speech and in the third category is agreed that it's not kufr but that person should be punished in a way that will cause them to repent and check themselves and return from such behavior a similar statement such as this has been mentioned by Shaykh Islam ibn Taymiyyah in his book As-Sarim Al-Maslul in which he reports from Al-Imam Ahmed his statement that it is not permissible for anyone to mention anything about the shortcomings of the companions of the Prophet nor to accuse them of anything that is an indication of a defect or shortcoming on their behalf and whoever did that should be corrected Uh, that is similar to what the Shaykh has said here that whoever mentions the shortcomings of the companions of the Prophet it's not permissible whoever did so uh, who accused them of any defect or shortcoming or ill behavior that person should be corrected until they repented and if they repented fine otherwise they should be whipped and they should be imprisoned until they died or corrected their behavior the next point Imam Qudara mentions also of the rights of Sahaba but here specifically the wives of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam the rights of the wives as Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam وَمِنَ السُنَّةِ التَّرَدِّي عَنْ أَزْوَاجِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam أُمَّهَاتَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ الْمُطَهَّرَاتِ الْمُبَرَّآتِ مِنْ كُلِّ سُوءٍ 
that also it is from the Sunnah that a believer should be pleased with the wives of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Ummahat al-Mu'mineen the mothers of the believers the wives of the Prophet every one of them are considered as our mothers they are the mothers of the believers they are the pure ones and mutakharat and they are the ones who are free who Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala has cleared uh, from any evil yani he has declared them to be free of any evil here Imam Al-Qudama says Afdaluhum Khadija bin Khuwailid the best of the wives the most superior of the wives of the Prophet Sallallahu is Khadija the daughter of Khuwailid radiallahu anha wa Aisha As-Siddiqa bint As-Siddiq and Aisha the truthful one and the daughter of the truthful one Allati baraha Allah fi kitabihi she is the one whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala declared the innocence innocence he declared her innocence in the Quran itself her innocence from the false accusations made by those who accused her of immoral behavior Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed her innocence in the Quran and he said Zawjin Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam she is the wife of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in this world and in the next life فَمَنْ قَذَفَهَا بِمَا بَرَاهَ اللَّهَ مِنْهُ فَقَدْ كَفَرْ بِاللَّهِ الْعَظِيمِ So whoever accuses her of that which Allah has declared her innocence from it whoever accuses her not like those in that time who made the accusation but those who make that accusation today after the Quran cleared her and made it clear that she was innocent of it if anyone repeats such an accusation it is definitely kufr that person has gone out of Islam here the Shaykh mentions the rights of the wives of the Prophet and in the commentary of Shaykh Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he said the wives of the Prophet are his wives in this world and they're his wives in the next life they are the mothers of the believers and uh, they should be respected and honored with that which is proper, fitting and suitable for the wives of the steel of the prophets yani they are the wives of the last of the prophets and messengers they are his family they are the pure the good whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala declared their purity and their goodness and their being free from any kind of evil or any kind of yani uh, filth or unclean thing their honor uh, and otherwise Allah has declared their innocence and their purity and here he says that this is an expression from the Quran that those who are the tayyibat means the pure good women they are for the tayyibin for the pure good men and the pure good men are for the tayyibat the pure good women and here under this expression comes the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said the good women are for the good men and the good men are for the good women so how can the wives of the Prophet be anything other than tayyibah they are for the best the most atyab in nas the best of all men the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam so Allah is pleased with them all of them may Allah be pleased with them and may the blessings and peace and praise of Allah amongst the angels be upon his prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam truthful and the faithful in delivering that which Allah mentioned them with then here he mentions the list of the wives of the Prophet 
Khadija bin Khuwaylid, who was the mother of his children, except Ibrahim, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, He didn't marry anyone after her until she died. Yani, my Prophet was married to her uh, after she had been married twice and widowed and he didn't marry any other woman himself after marrying her until she passed away. Also Aisha, the daughter of Abu Bakr Siddiq the Prophet saw her in a dream twice or three times and it was said this is your wife so he made a contract to marry her at the age of six in Mecca and he consummated the marriage with her in Medina when she was nine years old she died in the year 58 after the Hijrah. Amongst his wives is Sauda, the daughter of Zama'a, Al-Amiriyah. The Prophet وسلم, married her uh, after she had also been married to a Muslim. Uh, and she died at the end of the Khilafah of Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu. He said approximately in the year 54 of the Hijrah. Then Hafsa, radiallahu anha, the daughter of Umar ibn al-Khattab, radiallahu anhu, the Prophet married her also after she was married to a Muslim, uh, who was killed, Rahud, and she died, Hafsa, radiallahu anha, died in the year 41 after the Hijrah. Then Zainab, Bint Khuzayma al-Hilaliyah who was known for attending to the poor the Prophet married her after her husband was killed as a martyr Abdullah ibn Jahash who, who died as a martyr in the battle of Uhud and she Zainab died uh, in the year four years after the Hijrah Shortly, yani a short period of time after the Prophet had married her. Then Um Salama, radiallahu anha, Hind bint Abi Umayya al Makhzumiya. The Prophet died, married her after her husband died, Abu Salama, Abdullah ibn Ab al Asad, radiallahu anhu, one of the great companions of the Prophet. Uh, he died from wounds that he suffered in the battle of Uhud and Um Salama radiallahu anha died in the year 61 of the Hijrah then Zainab bin Jahash al-Asadiyah she was a cousin of the Prophet from his father's side uh, he married her after his Mawla Zaid ibn Haritha was, was divorced from her and the Prophet married her in the year 5 of the Hijrah and she died 
in the year 20 after the Hijrah radiallahu anha then Juwayriya radiallahu anha bint al-Harif al-Khaza'iyya the Prophet also married her after she had been previously married uh, in the year 6 of the Hijrah she died in the year 56 after the Hijrah the migration then Umm Habiba Ramla bint Abi Sufyan radiallahu anha the Prophet married her uh, after her husband who had become a Muslim and then turned back from Islam and embraced Christianity after that the Prophet married her uh, and she died in the time of the Khilafah of her brother Muawiyah radiallahu anhu she died during his Khilafah in the year 44 of the Hijrah Umm Habiba Ramla the daughter of Abu Sufyan radiallahu anha then Safiya the daughter of Hayyay Ibn Akhtab from Bani Nadir who was from the descendants of Harun the son of Imran Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam one of the Anbiya the brother of Musa السلام, she was Safiya radiallahu anha given her freedom by the Prophet وسلم, and her being freed from slavery was her mahra or sadaqa uh, marriage gift from the Prophet He married her after the conquest of Khaybar when the Muslims conquered the Jews in Khaybar the year 6 of the Hijrah and she died the year 50 after the Hijrah. Uh, and finally Maymuna bint al-Harith Hilaliya radiallahu anha the Prophet married her in the year 7 of the Hijrah in the time of the Umrah al-Qaba uh, after she had been previously married and she died the year 51 one year after Safiya radiallahu anha so these are the wives of the Prophet who and he remained as his wife at the time of his death. They were his wives at the time of his death, except Khadija radiallahu anhu who died before him. Uh, or he says here, two of his wives died before him, Khadija and also Zainab bin Khuzayma, who died shortly after he married him. Uh, okay, then the Shaykh mentions amongst the wives of the Prophet وسلم, the best of them was Khadija and Aisha radiallahu anhuma and each of them have their own merits over the other and some superiority in some way or another 
for Khadija radiallahu anha, she was the first one to embrace Islam. Uh, and for Aisha, and she was the first one to embrace Islam, Khadija, and also she supported him and helped him in the early time of his mission. And for Aisha radiallahu anha, uh, she was with him in the end of his mission until the end. Uh, helping him and supporting him and she was one of the most knowledgeable of the companions of the Prophet some from amongst men or women and she and he, of her virtues was her spreading of the knowledge of the Prophet وسلم, from which the whole of the Ummah benefited uh, after and after the death of the Prophet وسلم, for many years during the life of Aisha the people used to come to her to learn about the public as well as the personal and private affairs of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And here the Shaykh mentions that she had been de- her innocence had been declared from that which she had been falsely accused of by the hypocritical people in the occasion of Al-Ifq, yani the fabrication that was made against her of her yani false claim of immorality and that which has been mentioned in Surah Surah uh, Finally, the Shaykh mentions those who make false accusations against the mothers of the believers, the wives of the Prophet Wasallam. What is the ruling concerning that? He said that whoever makes false accusation against Aisha related to that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has declared, has declared her innocence of, then that person has committed kufr because that person has rejected and denied the clear text of the Qur'an uh, which declare her innocent. Likewise, whoever makes a false accusation against any other of the wives of the Prophet ﷺ, the Ummahat al-Mu'mineen, uh, there are two things from amongst the scholars concerning this. One of them, of the things, is that whoever makes a false accusation against any other wives of the Prophet, that this is kufr, because it is yani, degrading, and it is a belittling of the Prophet ﷺ himself because it would be like declaring uh, someone to be evil or immoral khabif and the khabif or evil and immoral should be for the khabif men and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made it clear that the tayyib is for the tayyibah is for the tayyib the good women are for the good men and the khabif or evil women are for the evil men and the prophet sallallahu whoever declares his wife to be in any way evil, they are declaring in a way him to also be evil. So the more correct of the saying of the scholars is that a false accusation or criticism of any of the wives of the Prophet ﷺ, not only Aisha whose innocence has been declared in the Quran, but any of them, and this is also a criticism of the Prophet ﷺ, and it is kufr. The last point that we want to take is very brief, point number 89, related to the status of Muawiyah. Who many of the people misunderstood due to the conflict that took place between him uh, in the end of the time of the Khulaf al-Rashidin. Here Al-Imam Al-Qudama says, That Muawiyah is the Khal, the uncle of the believers, meaning he is the brother of the mother of the believers. He is the brother of the, one of the wives of the Prophet. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Wakatif Wahi Allah He is a writer or a scribe One of those who used to record 
the revelations of Allah in the Quran وأحد خلفاء المسلمين رضي الله عنهم and he is one of the Khalifas of the Muslims may Allah be pleased with all of them here the Shaykh just briefly mentions Muawiyah ibn Abi Sufyan he is one of the Amir al-Mu'mineen one of the leaders of the Muslims he is Muawiyah ibn Abi Sufyan Sakhra ibn Harb he, is, he was born before the missioning of the Prophet by five years, five years before his missioning and he embraced Islam in the year of the conquest of Mecca and it is said that he embraced Islam after the treaty of Hudaybiyyah but he hid his Islam, he didn't uh, and he openly showed his Islam uh, and he had been appointed as a ruler of the Muslims over Sham in the Khilafah or during the rulership of Omar and he remained in that position uh, for a long time um, Inshallah, just, just a few points, a few comments remaining after that then Inshallah we'll complete this Allah Uh, anyway, the final comment, Shaykh Muhammad ibn Salih Uthaymin concerning Muawiyah radiallahu anhu. And uh, it, it becomes clear here in his comments why he was mentioned specifically from amongst many other companions of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi He says that he was appointed by Umar during the Khilafah of Umar and he remained in that position uh, until the year when there was the conflict or ruling or judgment between the Muslims because of the dispute over the Khilafah, who was really the Khalifa, uh, that was in the year 37. Then the people, uh, in the year 41, the people came together by consensus, accepting him as the Khalifa of the Muslims after Al-Hasan, the son of Ali radiallahu anhuma, declined his rightful position to Khilafa, he declined his position in order to reconcile between the Muslims because of the difference between those people who wanted Muawiyah as the Khalifa and those who wanted Al-Hasan as the Khalifa so Al-Hasan radiallahu anhu declined uh, at that point Muawiyah radiallahu anhu became the undisputed Khalifa of the Muslims that was in the year 41 of the Hijrah then the Shaykh says that he was one of the writers for the Prophet and he, he used to be one of those who used to write a revelation when it was revealed to him uh, and he died, Muawiyah radiallahu anhu died in, in the month of Rajab in the 60th year of the Hijrah after يعني, almost 20 years of undisputed يعني, rulership over the Muslims as the Khalifa he was 78 years old at the time when he died and here the Shaykh says that he has been mentioned by Al-Imam Ibn Qadamah and praised as a refutation against the Rafidah, the Shia, who cursed him and spoke abusively against him, using harsh words against him. And also to make Danny to make clear that those people who hold such a position and who speak against him in such a way that they are wrong. So here Al Imam Al mentions him uh, in this way, in a praiseworthy way to make it clear that he is one of the men of the Prophet and that he has merits from amongst them that amongst, amongst the greatest of his merits is that he was one of those selected by the Prophet to write the revelation, the Qur'an as it was being revealed 
And then the Shaykh says that he has been called Khal al-Mu'mineen or the uncle of the believers due to the fact that he was the brother of one of the wives of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Umm Habiba radiallahu anha. Uh, and Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah mentions in his book Minhaj al-Sunnah, page 199, the second volume, that there is a difference of opinion amongst the scholars. Is it right to say, or is it right to call the brothers of the wives of the Prophet, yani the brothers of the Ummahat al-Mu'mineen, the mothers of the believers, is it right to call their brothers the uncles of the believers or not? And here the Shaykh doesn't say what is the preferable opinion, but obviously the opinion of Al-Imam ibn Khudama is that it is allowed to do so. So this is the end of what we can cover now. And if Allah allows, we will complete the book in the next two lectures, the Ibn Ilahi Ta'ala. Subhanak Allahumma wa bihamdika, ashadu an la ilaha illa anta, ashadu kuruka wa tubu ilayk. If there are any comments or corrections or questions, maybe we can take about two or three minutes. Uh, the questions on the sheep, what is the position of Ahl Sunnah concerning declaring someone a kafir due to sin? And in the position of Ahl Sunnah that is not lawful clear someone a kafir simply due to the commission of sins whether major or minor. What is the position of Ahmad concerning obedience to a wicked ruler? And in the ruler, once he becomes the Khalifa of the Muslims, whether he came in by selection and by the choice of the people or whether he became the ruler by force. Once he became the ruler of the Muslims and he is the Khalifa and he is called the Khalifa, it is obligatory to obey him. This is the position of the Ahl Sunnah Jama'ah. We didn't discuss it in detail, but we discussed it in detail, in a lot of detail in the explanation of Usul Sunnah by Imam Ahmed. And I think we discussed it briefly in Aqil Tahawir. Is it allowed to mention the shortcomings, Masawi, of the companions? We said that it is not allowed to mention their shortcomings, but in fact, what is expected of the believer is to mention their good qualities and only to allow praise to come from our mouth concerning them. How does, or how do the scholars of Sunnah view Muawiyah ibn Abi Sufyan? That's what we just discussed. He is a companion, a Sahabi, companion of Prophet, sallallahu anhu. He is one of the writers of the Revelation. He is the brother of one of the Ummahat al-Mu'mineen and so many other virtues. He was the ruler, Khalifa of the Muslims during the time of Sahaba for almost 20 years. Radi Allahu anhu ajma'in. Any other questions from the brothers now? Tafadl. Uh-huh. Now. Point number 85. Now. The Hadith. Point number 85, the hadith is considered to be dying. Our position concerning the position of Ahl Sunnah Jama'ah in general concerning the hadith dying, there are two positions. One, that it should be rejected. Hadith is dying, should be rejected. And this is the opinion of Imam Al-Bukhari. And this was the reason why the movement of Sahih was established, to separate the hadith which are Sahih from those which are dying. And many other scholars held this opinion. Uh, even some of the scholars who accepted weak hadith like Imam Ahmed and Imam Abu Dawood, it was their opinion to accept some hadith which the Adaif in the case where there was no Sahih hadith. And that weak hadith only had a slight minor weakness. If it had a major weakness, they didn't accept it. At that time, they used to classify the hadith in Islam Imam Ahmed before Bukhari. They used to classify the hadith, majority of the scholars, into two categories, Sahih and Daif. 
So those hadith which now we will consider as hasan, they were in the category of da'if. But they only had a slight weakness in that case, those da'if hadith which had slight weakness, Imam Ahmed and Abu Dawud and other scholars used to accept them if there was no other authentic hadith to use as a proof in a particular issue. But if it only had a slight, weak, slight weakness. And those hadith today are generally accepted by the scholars because they are considered as hasan. Those hadith which have slight weakness and are supporting narration. So, the opinion of the majority of the scholars is that the hadith that is da'if, any major weakness in it, it is rejected. It cannot be used as a proof, especially in matters of aqidah and in matters of halal and haram. Those who said you can use it in reference to encouraging doing good deeds, they said that, as Al-Hafiz al-Hajj said in his statement concerning the use of weak hadith in the encouraging of doing good deeds with conditions. Number one, if it only has a slight weakness. Number two, it shouldn't be used in halal or haram. Make a ruling in sharia. It shouldn't be used in matters of aqidah. Also, the person who mentions it shouldn't mention it as a statement of the Prophet And they shouldn't say qala rasul And also, it should be supported by other proofs. Yani, by other hadith or some other text in the Quran that supports the matter that's mentioned in that weak hadith. Those scholars who mention some hadith which are weak, usually the reason for that is either, as Imam Abu Dawud used to mention, some hadith would have slight weakness, or because there was difference of opinion. Some of the scholars may have considered this hadith as being authentic, while other scholars considered it as weak. And this is one of the reasons for difference of opinion amongst the scholars. Sometimes some scholars declare a hadith to be sahih, while others declare it to be da'if. Those who consider it sahih use it as a proof, and those who thought it to be da'if didn't use it. But in general, we shouldn't use it as a proof, and that which is mentioned in this hadith is supported by other proofs. The belief in al-qadr al-qadr, the, uh, the position of jihad is supported by Qur'an and Sunnah. The uh, position of refraining from declaring the kufr of those who say la ilaha illallah is also supported by other proofs from both the Qur'an as well as the Sunnah. So we don't use this hadith as our proof, but we use the other evidences from Qur'an and Sunnah for these three points that are mentioned in the hadith.